Sinai in the first month of the second year, after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Let the people of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. On the fourteenth day of this month at twilight, you shall keep it at its appointed time. According to all its statutes and all its rules, you shall keep it. So Moses told the people of Israel that they should keep the Passover. And they kept the Passover in the first month on the 14th day of the month at twilight in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So the people of Israel did. And there were certain men who were unclean through touching a dead body so that they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and Aaron on that day. And those men said to him, we are unclean through touching a dead body. We are kept from bringing the Lord's offering at its appointed time among the people of Israel. And Moses said to them, wait, that I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to the people of Israel, saying, if any one of you or your descendants is unclean through touching a dead body or is on a long journey, he shall keep the Passover of the Lord. In the second month, on the 14th day at twilight, they shall keep it. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall leave none of it until the morning, nor break any of its bones according to all the statute for the Passover. They shall keep it. But if anyone who is clean and is not on a journey fails to keep the Passover, that person shall be cut off from his people because he did not bring the Lord's offering at its appointed time. That man shall bear his sin. And if a stranger sojourns among you and would keep the Passover to the Lord according to the statute of the Passover and according to its rules, so shall he do. You shall have one statute, both for the sojourner and the native. And this ends the reading of God's word. As I mentioned earlier, there is probably nothing more important. Um, there is no more important holiday than that of the Passover. It was a time to remember God's wondrous act of deliverance from Egypt. The people, or certainly the firstborn, are alive because the Passover lamb was slain in their place. We've spent a fair amount of time in the book of Numbers dealing with this idea of substitutionary atonement. that That an innocent victim died for the sins of the guilty. And the firstborn are alive because the Passover lamb was slain in their place. One other thing that I want to point out that I I will hopefully bring out in the conclusion of today's message. But I do want to point out the idea of the generational nature of the Passover. Listen to what Moses writes in Exodus chapter 12 verses 24 through 28 in regards to the Passover. Exodus chapter 12, verse 24. You shall observe this right, that's the Passover, as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt, 
when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses and the people bowed their heads and worshipped. I want you to note not only the importance of the Passover for the people in the wilderness, but the importance of passing down the remembrance of the Passover from generation to generation to generation that they would never forget what was done for them by God's grace. And we see in these first few verses the grace of God. Listen to what God says. The Lord spoke to Moses. Once again, we see that very familiar phrase. If you've been with us in Numbers, that's becoming very, very familiar to you. And the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai. Let the people of Israel keep the Passover. The Lord spoke. What did he say? Let the people keep the Passover. In other words, remember who you are. Remember who I am. Remember that I'm the one who's delivered you from bondage. And then it says, and they kept the Passover. And notice how meticulous that. The text is, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. I think it's significant how the repetition of how meticulous they were in keeping the Passover. It's significant because they had not always been meticulous in their observance of all that the Lord commanded. We need to understand that this Passover was, was being celebrated only a few weeks after the whole golden calf incident. In light of the incident with the golden calf just a few weeks prior, God says, let the people celebrate and remember what I have done for them. It was a time, the golden calf was a time where they did not do all that the Lord had commanded. In fact, they worshipped the Lord according to their own ideas. They came before the Lord on their own merit and with their own ingenuity. They worshipped God on their own terms and they faced God's judgment. Don't forget that when they made the golden calf, they did not say, this golden calf is Baal who delivered you out of Egypt, or this golden calf is one of the gods of the desert, or this golden calf is one of the gods of the Canaanites who delivered you out of Egypt. No, Aaron said, this golden calf is Yahweh, your God. That's what's going on. And God's wrath broke out upon the people, and He judged them for their sins. And now, that same God says, let the people come and celebrate my Passover. They did not deserve communion with the living God. And God says, invite them and bring them before me and let them remember who I am and who they are. You have paid a high price for, my, for your sins, but God invites the people to the Passover. In other words, you're still mine. In spite of the golden calf incident and the judgment that you received, you are still my people. You've paid a high price for your sins. But my covenant with you remains intact. I am your God. You are my people. Yes, even now. You, I am your God. You are my people still. This is a word of grace. 
this certainly serves as an assurance of forgiveness. As the people of God, it is imperative that God's people are routinely reminded of their assurance of being forgiven. I believe it's a necessary element of worship. See, two things mankind generally does. We either ignore our sin or we live in our sin. Ironically, both are sin. We either ignore our sins or we live in our sins. We need to remember the faithfulness of God who forgives us of our sins. And this is why it is no accident that every week in our order of service, there is a time for assurance of God's forgiveness of sins. We don't do that because that's the way we've always done it. We don't do that because it's routine. We don't do that simply because it makes us feel good or whatever. We don't do it because we're just, we like being stuck in a rut and we don't flow freely with whatever we want to do. We do it very specifically. We have a time of confessing our sins. We have a time where we praise God, then we confess our sins. But we will not leave you in the midst of your sins, but rather we will spend time reading God's Word and praying and singing songs that assure us that our sins have been forgiven. It's very deliberate. We confess our sins because we do not think it right to ignore them. And then we offer a time of assurance of forgiveness because we also think it's right that we not live in the sins that God has forgiven us. So we set aside time to confess our sins. We set aside time for that assurance of pardon. We might read scriptures that tell us of the assurance of pardon as Nelson did today. We might pray prayers. We might sing songs. My sins, they are many. His mercy is more. We might do all three. But I want you to understand that when you look on your bulletin and you see that assurance of forgiveness and you see it week after week after week after week, it is because God's people need week after week after week after week to know the merits of Christ. And you wonder, well, what about me? My, my sins are many. And they're repetitive. Can I be forgiven? I assure you, the merits and the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice for your sins is more than sufficient. More th- Where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. I met a guy one day. I said, how are you doing? And he said, grace is abounding. And I knew right then he'd had a rugged week. But he understood the truth that grace abounds. In the midst of my sin, this is no excuse for violating the meticulous observance of God's law. I'm just simply saying 
that the merits of Christ are sufficient. When we come to the Lord's table, which we will do today, we corporately gather around and we are celebrating, we are observing the assurance of God's forgiveness. We are partaking of the body and blood of Jesus Christ and recognizing my sins have been atoned for because of the merits of Christ on the cross. And I remember that deliverance. I look back and remember what He has done for me. God is inviting the Israelites to come to my table. Remember the Passover. Remember what I've done for you. I have redeemed you out of slavery and you're still mine. Well, when we get to verse 6, there's a crisis, isn't there? There were certain men who were unclean through touching a dead body so that they could not keep the Passover on the day. And they came to Moses and Aaron and said, Hey, we're supposed to keep the Passover on the 14th day of the first month. But we were unclean because we had touched a dead body. We had come in contact with the dead. We are ceremonially unclean. And why are we kept away from the Lord's table? Why are we kept away from the Passover? How come we can't um, offer a sacrifice? That's not fair. So some were unable to celebrate due to being unclean. We know that the contact with a dead body would exclude a person from the celebration. One of the things that stands out to me in this passage of text was uh, verse 7. There's there's almost a sense of indignant, being indignant here. Why are we kept from bringing the Lord's offering? How come we can't do it? I mean, I understand that we are unclean, but why can't we also participate in this joyful celebration? And here we begin to see that issue of duty or those parallels between duty and delight. Why are we kept from doing all that God has commanded? I don't know. Has anybody ever said those words? Why can't I be permitted and allowed and and privileged to do all that God has commanded me? In other words, to do all that the Lord commanded was a delight. I think in error, we sometimes think that we progress from duty to delight. As though delight were a thing preferred above duty. Like there's this linear progression that I move from duty. And if I perform the duty long enough, that maybe eventually I'll attain to delighting. And now I've progressed beyond duty. And now I'm just enjoying all the things that God has called me to do. Perhaps the idea of Fake it till you make it. But I don't think that's an accurate understanding of the Word of God. I think duty and delight are two sides of the same coin. That is, we delight in duty, and duty is a delight. Psalm 119.97 Oh, how I delight in your law. Look at Psalm 1.2 Speaking of the man who, um, the blessed man, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And First John, just in case you think, well, that's a bunch of Old Testament folks. First John chapter 5, verse 3, John writes this, For this is the love 
of God that we keep his commandments. There it is, duty. And his commandments are not burdensome. There's delight. We delight in duty, and duty is a delight. So as we gather, let me just, an an example is that we gather on the Lord's Day every week for Lord's Day worship. We are called by God to gather on the Lord's Day. That is duty. In fact, that's why we do a call to worship. It is God's invitation to His people to join Him. He bids us welcome. He calls us. He invites us. It is our duty to hear that call and join together with His people on the Lord's Day and give praise and honor and glory to His name. But it is also our delight to join with God's people and to participate in His prescribed means of grace. We gather together and we hear His Word read and preached and proclaimed. And that is a delight. We sing together. We don't have a a fancy or a, an involved instrumentation. I think it's really important that our voices, our voices make up the choir. And so we sing to one another and we sing with one another. We participate in singing together. And my brother is singing God's word and I'm hearing and being encouraged by God's word as, and uh, singing God's truth in the songs that we sing. I hear him saying, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. And I respond, praise be to God. We sing together and I hear my, sa- my sister singing In Christ alone, my hope is found. It's like, yeah, me too. We sing together. We give and we're generous. We pray together and we say, amen, so be it. Yes, I agree. We pray together. We confess our sins together. And that is a delight. What a delight it is to join together with the people of God and hear His Word and sing His praises together. God bids us come. It is our duty. And folks, it is our delight. We come to the Lord. Grace produces in us a godliness that makes us delight in our duty. So these men come and they say, listen, we are unclean because of uh, coming contact with a dead body. Moses, what shall we do? Why can't, what's to keep us? Why aren't we allowed to join in the celebration? And Moses just nails it. See, there are two dangers that Moses is facing. The first danger that Moses is facing is the danger of the legalist. Too bad, so sad. You missed out, too bad. The law says you cannot approach the Lord because you came in contact with a dead body. That's what it says. Too bad. Hopefully next year things will go better for you. Nobody in your family dies. But too bad for this year. That's the first danger that is facing Moses. The second danger is the the danger of the libertine. That is, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that you came in contact with the dead. Listen, God doesn't really care how you approach him. 
Just come. All he really cares about is your heart. And if your heart is good, then God is good. We've seen in the book of Numbers that just doesn't work. Moses recognizes he does not have the right to suspend the law of God, nor does he have the authority to make approval on his own. So what does he do? Let me search out God's word. What does God's word say on this? Now, in those days, God went, uh, Moses went and spoke directly to God. We have today God's word in, in the Bible. Moses didn't even have the first five books of the Old Testament. He was writing them. <laughs> he wasn't done yet. <laughs> and so he goes and he seeks God's word. And that's wise for us as well. What principles from God's word do we come into when we encounter really challenging situations? We see then the Lord's approval. The Lord's approval or what sometimes I might call the irregular principle. At this church, we, uh, we would follow after what many have called the regulative principle of worship. That's just fancy language. You don't need to know that other than this is what we mean by that. We do not approach God however we want. We believe God has prescribed how people worship. And we cannot just come to God on our own terms. I'll give you an example. The golden calf. The golden calf was prime example that you do not enter into God's presence on your own terms. Oh, they were ascribing glory to God. They were ascribing glory to Yahweh. This is the one who brought you out of, out of Egypt. And they died. So we do not approach God however we want. But rather there are principles. There are things that God, I believe, has prescribed in his word that get done. Things like we read God's word, we preach God's word, we sing God's word, we pray God's word. We fellowship with one another. We receive the, the uh, we see God's word in, in communion and in baptism. But the gospel permeates everything we do, I hope. That's our intent. You will probably not find liturgical dance in this church, at least not while I am the pastor. Or on a day when I'm not on vacation. Well, it won't happen. Our elders would not allow that to happen. Not that we don't find beauty in certain things. We just find that um, that is not prescribed for us in the Word of God. But then we get into all kinds of what-if situations. We need to be cautious that we are not legalistic about the way we do things. And so here we have this irregular principle. Let me go. Moses said, let me go and hear what the Lord will command. And this is the, what the Lord says. If any one of your descendants is unclean through touching a dead body or is on a long journey, he shall keep the Passover to the Lord in the second month on the 14th day at twilight. They shall keep it. Did you note the time change? Sometimes, folks, you may think, oh, John's getting all meticulous about when things happen. This is really important. That you will keep it in the first and the second month on the 14th day. Go back. 
And look, when the Passover was to be kept, it was to be kept on the first month, on the 14th day. However, if you've touched a dead body or you are on a long journey, you may keep it a month later. You may keep it in the second month. There's the important observation for those of you who are in our Bible study class on Sunday mornings. A little bit of observation, you're going to note that. And it's going to jump out at you. So one, here's, so Moses, God tells Moses, listen, they're still allowed to keep the Passover. They will do it one month later. A couple of things. First of all, you should know, one cannot just ignore the Passover, but some were prohibited from preserving Uh, from observing it. Folks, sometimes in a sinful world, precise obedience can get complicated. Just a couple of examples. And I don't know, you may disagree with my conclusions here, but just a couple of examples. Perhaps a new church or a small church that because of its size and perhaps because of circumstances beyond anybody's control, um, the pastor has no elders. The Bible says that a church should be led by a, by a plurality of elders. I think that's the right organization for a church. But perhaps there's a situation that arises where that ends up not being a possibility. Do you close the church? I don't think so. The pastor will function in an irregular way. He will serve as the sole elder until the Lord, by His grace, brings those who would serve in that capacity. Here's another one we get a lot of times that people talk, especially when we're studying um, missions. And um, what do you do if you evangelize a tribe or a group of people where polygamy is the norm and they come to know Christ? What do you do if the leader of that clan or that tribe or that particular people group is, has multiple wives? What do you do? Well... Would you have the, the, the individual divorce his wives? Except for maybe the first one? Which, of course, then, generally in that type of a population, you would end up putting those women at severe risk. And divorce, we know, is also a sin. What do you do? Most missionaries today would say that they would continue to live their lives as they are taking care of all of the wives and then as leadership passes on and new leadership arises, um, one, one husband, one wife for life becomes the norm and over the course of time, that becomes the norm. A great example, we see this is in the Bible where the people were asking Jesus, it says, on what basis... Jesus, can you divorce your wife? Can you divorce your wife for any reason whatsoever? Like she looked at you crossways this morning? Or only in the case of immorality? And Jesus says, takes them back to the beginning and he says, basically, divorce was given to you because God knows that you are hard-hearted people. 
Marriage, one woman, one man for life was the norm, but God permitted divorce because of the hardness of your heart. You heard, would hear many, many stories of um, churches behind the Iron Curtain back during that era. And within a town or a city or a village, all of the men had been, all of the Christian men had been arrested and sent to prison for their faith in Christ. Leaving the church with no men to leave the church. Should the church shut down, most of them continued to run. And women led the church. See, sometimes in a sinful world, precise obedience can get very, very complicated. I want you to note something. These people are not looking for a loophole to disobey God. and They are not looking for a loophole to disobey God. Well, since God gave a certificate of divorce way back when, you know, uh, or, well, since God allowed and put up with polygamy in some ancient tri- or some tribe in the remote part corner of the earth, well, maybe I should just go ahead and get me an extra wife or two. After all, remember, these people are not looking for loopholes. They are looking to obey God. They are just saying, in this particular state, we're unable to do the thing that we want to do and worship God according to His commandments. Is there any, any grace that will enable us to do that which we desire to do. We want to uphold the law of God. How do we do that? They're not looking for how do I disobey God and justify it. They're not looking for a loophole. And then we move along and we see this grace to strangers. How God's grace reaches beyond Abraham's children to Gentiles. You'll notice this in the last verse. And if a stranger sojourns among you and would keep the Passover to the Lord according to the statute of the Passover and according to its rule, so shall he do. You shall have one statute, both for the sojourner and for the native. So if there is somebody who comes to you, a sojourner, and they also want to celebrate the Passover with you and celebrate God's deliverance of his people from bondage in keeping with his promise to Abraham. Now God is saying those who are not by birth children of the promise can come by faith. If they, re- if they believe and receive the sign of the covenant, they will be received into the covenant community. So even if they're not children of Israel, even if they're not Abraham's children, they can by faith received the sign of the covenant, which at that time was circumcision, and then they too would be treated as a local and received into the covenant community. And they too could celebrate the Passover of the Lord. I do want to draw a few gospel connections here as I think it will be important as we move along. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, Paul talks very specifically about Christ being our Passover lamb. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 6, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? 
cleanse out the leaven, that old leaven, that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Christ is our Passover lamb. Jesus is the reality that the Passover lamb pointed to year after year. Year after year, the people sacrificed a Passover lamb and they put the blood either on their doorpost, probably in the wilderness somehow, maybe on their tent pegs. Don't know exactly how on the doorpost of their tent. But year after year after year, the Passover lamb was slain. Jesus is our Passover lamb. He has been slain and He is the one who has saved us from the bondage of sin and death. The reality reminds us that we cannot save ourselves. But we need Almighty God to do for us what we cannot do ourselves. By faith, the people in Israel believed that the Lamb slain for them would be sufficient to save them. And so we gather together believing that the blood of Christ is sufficient to save us also from our sins. Once and for all. We should note also that the Passover included the cleaning out of all leaven from the household. I won't go out and go back and give you great detail, but one of the things they did prior, a week before Passover was to clean out all of the leaven, which spoke of corruption and sin. In other words, those cleansed by the blood of the Lamb should be eager to flee from all that corrupts. Here we again we see duty and delight. The duty is to cleanse ourselves from all sin. The delight is, I am cleansed from my sins. I've confessed my sins. I've been made clean by the blood of the Lamb. The importance of the Passover to the life of the Old Covenant people should clue us in on the centrality of the New Covenant sacraments to the Christian life. The ordinances that Christ has given us are not to be neglected. We are to attend to them Regularly. For in them, in the ordinances, we have special remembrances of our salvation. And through them, the Father strengthens our faith, our union with Christ, and our unity with one another. My conclusion today um, will be that we will celebrate together the Lord's table. The Lord's Supper came in the midst of a Passover meal. Remember, Jesus was celebrating the Passover with His disciples when He inaugurated and instituted the Lord's Supper. The connection with Passover and the Lord's Supper is explicit. Jesus said, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. What is particularly significant is the theological connection between Passover and the Lord's Supper. The Passover recalled the great saving event for Israel as a nation from bondage to Egypt. To escape scourge or of the destroying angel, every Israelite had to apply the blood of the lamb to their house. The Passover pointed to a greater reality, a greater deliverance. It pointed to the great deliverance, the new exodus that would take place through the death of Jesus Christ. 
And so through Jesus' blood, his people are saved from destruction, just as Israel was saved from the destroying angel. And though it is not in the context of communion, Paul picks up that theme saying, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And one of the central themes of the Passover was remembrance. It was part of the formalized ritual because children asked their parents in succeeding generations the meaning of the Passover. Remembering assured Israel that God, that God was for them, granting them strength to trust him, both in the present and in the future. So evoking Passover traditions, Jesus calls his followers to remember his death. The goal of remembering is not merely to recall a past event with fondness, but to recall how Jesus rescues his people from the slavery of sin so that they, in turn, are liberated to love and obey him. So we will celebrate the Passover today, or the Lord's Supper today. We see its connection with the Passover fulfilled in the person of Christ. And then just let me also point out this idea of, um, as I read earlier, the Passover was generational, and I believe the Lord's Supper is generational as well. For parents, um, many of our parents are unable to be here this morning, but they may be listening on live stream. This is generational. When your kids ask you, why do we do that? Just like Passover was generational. What, what does this right mean? And you will tell them, this is when God delivered us out of Egypt. And so parents, grandparents, when your children ask, why do you have that little thing of juice and that little wafer of bread? What's that all about? It's generational. You pass it down and you say, this reminds us and points back to when Christ died His body was broken and his blood was shed and he inaugurated a new covenant, a new covenant in him. Not like the old covenant that needs to be repeated every year, but a new covenant that is found in Jesus Christ. We are his, he is ours, and all of that because of what he has done on our behalf. And you will tell your children these things and they, I pray, will come to a time where the Lord will convict them of their sins and they will cry out to the Lord as well. And if you are privileged, you may even be able to be part of that opportunity to walk with your child across the threshold of the kingdom. Probably no greater gift for a parent. To take their child and say, come, let's enter the kingdom together. And we will celebrate the Lord's Supper together. So if uh, our ushers will come forward, they will... uh, Bring forth the, uh, distribute the, the elements. This will be a very, very simple distribution or a very simple observance today. Um, 